And it's in those moments where we realize we can rest on the, the words of the Son and the Spirit for us, through us, and actually from within us to carry us before the Father and those things. And so that, that shapes Christian praying in all sorts of profound ways, right? It's why we say our Father who art to heaven, right? We pray our father with the one who prayed my father and was claimed to be a heretic because of it, right? Because he made himself equal with God, mm. calling God father but in that way. Um, we pray based on our standing in Christ um, and therefore our praying as children within the son. And, and we pray in the name of another. Welcome to the Guilt, Grace, Gratitude podcast featuring Peter Bell and Nick Fulweiler. This is a show about Christian doctrine for everyone from the historic Reformed tradition, delivered by two friends in an unscripted dialogue. Join us as we discuss how the finished work of Jesus Christ changes everything. Are you in the Orange County or Santa Ana area? We are exploring a church plant, Santa Ana Reformed, with the oversight and accountability of Oceanside URC and Reverend Danny Hyde. If you are interested or you know someone who might be interested in the area, please check out our show notes for a link to sign up for updates. Our Twitter or Instagram at guiltgracepod or Santa Ana URC for the same sign up link or simply email us at santaannareformed at gmail.com. We begin meetings on October 28th at 6.30 p.m. at 4th Street Market in downtown Santa Ana. Now on with the episode. Hello, everyone. Yet once again, it's another day of fresh grace and mercy. This is a book club episode presented by your brothers in Christ, Nick and Peter from the Guilt, Grace, Gratitude podcast, where we bridge the gap to reformed Christian theology for your listening pleasure. As a reminder, as always, check out our show notes after after this episode for a link to today's book. If you want to buy the book, it's by Dr. Kyle Strobel and Dr. John Coe, where Prayer Becomes Real, How Honesty with God Transforms Your Soul. It's published by Baker Books. There's also a link to our network of the Society of Reformed Podcasters and a link to the North American Presbyterian and Reformed Churches, as well as one for our Baptist brothers and sisters to find a church near you. Again, for today's book club, we are honored and thankful to have Kyle Strobel on, and he'll be talking to us about his New book, Where Prayer Becomes Real. I'll hand it off to Peter now. Yeah, we got Dr. Kyle Strobel, um, got his doctorate from University of Aberdeen, systematic theologian who teaches spiritual theology for Talbot's Institute of Spiritual Formation and Spiritual Formation-focused programs. His areas of interest include systematic theology, Jonathan Edwards' Spiritual Formation Prayer, writes popular and academic books and articles, and is on the preaching team at Redeemer Church in La Mirada, California, and is also a professor at my former alma mater. So this is like a, a reunion of sorts. So thanks for coming on, Dr. Strobel. Hey, Peter. Hey, Nick. Good to be with you guys. Yeah, thank you. And a lot of people probably know of your dad, Lee. And yep. um, yeah, yeah, I just want to make this plug is that He's the, the, is the less famous one of the two. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, there we go. That's probably not the case. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that, that movie, the case for Christ, we actually referenced talking about that movie. And the, when we first started our podcast about a year ago, it's a, uh, I was incredibly inspired by that movie. Mm. Um, which technically you're in it too. I I'm really actually trying to pitch it as mostly about my birth. It's a hard sell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can yeah. tell you this though. I saw that in a theater 
Uh huh. And no one could have prepared me for how weird of an experience it is. Really? <laughs> yeah. To watch yourself be bored. Oh, in, in a movie yeah. theater with strangers it was profoundly weird yeah I bet. that is very surreal <laughs> i didn't even think of that part of the movie but that's true um it's an incredible story um mm. love it obviously because it's true but mm. um even we're talking about your book obviously but i want to get to this like the, the the prayer to your dad says when he's on the couch when uh mm. he comes home and talks to your mom and it's kind of like he doesn't know where to start, but he's just like honest. And it kind of bridges yeah. with this with this book is like he's sitting there. He's like, I don't know where to start, God, but I'm all in, mm-hmm. you know, and I was like, I yeah. thought about that prayer in that movie when I was reading your book. So I just want to throw that out there. That's <laughs> uh, cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> cool. So um, we'll uh, we'll start off some of these questions. And so first question with this, obviously a book on prayer. There's been a bunch of books on prayers, both <laughs> old and modern and stuff. So what kind of unique contribution, what are you trying to do with this book, particularly that's different than those already out there? Yeah, no, that's a great question. You know, when I began, when we started thinking about writing this book, you know, this is a topic both of us have spent several decades on. Uh, my co-author, who's also my mentor, <laughs> has spent the last three decades on this, at least um, kind of you know, speaking about this in various locations, teaching on this. And we, we sat down and just thought like, well, what, what does a book on prayer need to be? And as we thought about it, you know, I, I, it, it seems to me there's three things a, a, a well-rounded book should do. It strikes me that very few books do all three. Mm-hmm. Um, the first thing we thought was it needs to be theoretical. And so there's a lot of practical books on prayer that are, just kind of fail theoretically a little bit, right? They, they don't um, explain, you know, well, what is a uniquely Christian vision of prayer? You know, how does the gospel form the nature of prayer? How do we, you know, some of the things that we have to kind of um, discuss theologically to understand, like, well, what what is actually going on here to make sense of what prayer is? Um, and then there's some books that do a good job of that, that actually don't do a very good job on the practical side of things. <laughs> and so it's like, if you're writing a book on prayer, it should actually help people pray, I would hope, yeah. right? Like that, yeah, yeah. That, that needs to be, although I've, you know, there are some good books out there that I've thought, well, that, that helped me theoretically, but that hasn't necessarily, now, of course it will in some sense, because it helps you reframe what you're doing, but mm-hmm. um, it, it actually doesn't help maybe with the practical side as much. It can make it the, harder if it's theoretical too, where there's all these concepts where they're like, oh, where do I even start? That's right. Yeah. Then you, yeah, well, and oftentimes you can almost get that sense of you, you can't do it because you're, you're too focused on the activity, right? You're like, well, yeah. is this right? Is this right? And, and then the last thing we realize, and this is the thing that we often think is left off, is that it, for lack of better terms, it has to be existential. Hmm. And what we mean by that is that, and what we want, and hopefully this is what your experience reading the book was, is we hoped as you read the book, we're actually telling you what your prayer life has been like. Hmm. And, you know, I've read some good books that I thought, you know, they had a lot of interesting things to say about prayer, even some good practical insights. It wasn't clear to me that they've ever prayed though. Because they could have said everything they said and never actually prayed. And I'm amazed at how often we'll write books on prayer and not talk about mind wandering. We'll not talk about falling asleep or the difficulty. Like, it's like when I go somewhere, no matter what church I go to, if I talk about my mind wandering in prayer, I've never run into a Christian that's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, I've never had that experience. <laughs> that was my time to sleep growing up. <laughs> that's exactly right. Fall asleep. I can't tell you how many of my students have such guilt because they go to pray and they fall asleep and they end up turning to themselves, which is always the great tragedy. Yeah. 
rather than rather than kind of discovering grace with in the presence of Christ. And so, you know, we wanted to do all three of those things together to really invite people into prayer and, and try to name, particularly on the existential side, like what has actually been inhibiting your prayer that you may not even realize is there. And I think for a lot of us, the, the difficulty in prayer is the stuff we've never actually talked about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is a, uh, a book that feels like the audience is just like really everyone. It's an obviously not focused on just a highly academic seminary only type of book. This is obviously focused on all believers, all Christians, because we all pray. We all need to. So I, I like to always ask this question in our book club episodes is, is there any prerequisite knowledge that would be helpful for someone walking into this book? Or could they really just be really starting from scratch, know nothing and open this book? Which, which would it be? Yeah, we, we kind of wrote it to the person that, no, you don't, you don't need anything. Uh, although, to be honest, I think the, if I can think of the target audience, mm-hmm. it is a little bit everyone, but it presupposes you've been a Christian for a little while. Mm. True. You know, it's, it's one of those things where if you, if you shared some of this with a brand new believer <clears throat> who still has the initial kind of like, you know, yeah. consolation of that's just right, 24 seven, that's right. <laughs> right. you know, for them, they look at some of this and they just kind of be baffled by it. I think, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, the, the youthfulness that, that, that zeal brings in with it, which is beautiful, which, you know, praise God for that. But it's, it often is blind a little bit <laughs> to, to, to some of these kind of struggles and it kind of baffles, you know, they're like, well, well, wait a second, I live for this. You know, they haven't yet felt kind of wrestled with, mm-hmm. you know, after a decade being a Christian going, well, I've been praying for this for a decade now and I'm, God, are you hearing this? Like they, they haven't had those experiences, maybe not yet. So we assume someone's been a Christian probably for a little while. We obviously assume, I mean, I, I, I often try to write, like in terms of my own writing, I, I write academically in systematic theology. Mm-hmm. Um, I write a lot on Jonathan Edwards. But then I, when, I, when I write popular stuff, I, I really do try to write as kind of broad as I can. But just by the nature of being a theologian, that it, it is going to limit the audience a little bit. Like we're going to mm-hmm. do a lot of canvassing of scripture. We're going to do, you know, the kind <laughs> of thing where it's not, it's not going to get down onto the, um, the low, I mean, it's, certainly not going to beat out Olstein's latest book, whatever that may, may happen to be. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> that, that seller which is was, good. You know, yeah. Which is good. You know, I, I, I don't expect to kind of, you know, have something like that, but it does assume that you're saturated enough in, in the biblical narrative, framing mm-hmm. reality. <clears throat> yeah. For yeah. struggling Christians. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a sense of seasoned honesty, you know, from us believers that, you know, we've gone through, I've gone through a, few years of praying the same prayer that hasn't been answered or something like that and um yeah so that's good and i appreciate that um and i also really appreciate like any uh book written by a a theologian or pastor there's like a lot of scriptural references which is always very important to prove what you're writing and, and take take it back to scripture so you do pull some biblical references some verses um, obviously, um, Psalms is huge for prayer. There's Luke, first Peter, first John three, Romans eight, 22 to 23, um, Jonah even. So how about that? Like, could we maybe talk about a little bit of how these point to certain verses that the audience could really kind of get a really nice understanding. They've never, never really maybe heard before. 
Yeah, yeah. It's amazing how, I mean, you when you start thinking about something like prayer, mm-hmm. it's easy to think, oh, there's a handful of really key passages, but then it really does kind of expand pretty broadly. And, mm-hmm. you know, one of the passages that was a bit of a surprise to me, actually, the more we thought about this was the First John 3, 19 and 20 passage. Mm-hmm. And I think there's something so profound going, and it's not the only place that does this, but I think it could be one of the clearest, where you get the sense that, you, that this person is before him, we're told. And it says, and their heart condemns them. And even if you just stop there, it's so interesting that pastorally, John assumes that for Christians who draw near to God, the response that they'll experience is one of condemnation. (laughs) And, you know, as I kind of meditated on that, I realized, you know, as a young Christian, I I totally know that. Like, I, I, I don't have to have any, like... I experientially know what it means to draw near to God and have your heart condemn you. Mm -hmm. But I didn't say my heart condemned me. Mm -hmm. I said, God's condemned me. (laughs) And then what John says in response is, is God is greater than your heart and he knows everything. And one of the things that does for prayer, I think specifically, that's so important. And and I think particularly in this day and age um, where so often we have this weird belief that our, our experience and our emotional life and these things have access to reality as if, as if they kind of, um, if we're experiencing something like condemnation, we can project that on God. And what John says is, no, that's your heart condemning you. Mm. And that, that says nothing about God. So, so take it to God. The problem I had, and I think for the most Christians I talk to, and this is very subconscious. So it's, it's the kind of thing that I, I, I kind of wish we would just learn theology and our heart would conform to it. <laughs> so like that's, mm-hmm. you know, I wish kind of that were the case. It's just not. And so, you know, what, what ends up happening is we have these subconscious beliefs that drive our lives. And so I can, I can affirm with Romans 8, 1, there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. But then when, when my heart condemns me in prayer, that sends me spinning. And, and what it did as a young believer for me. Now, I, I grew up in kind of the megachurch world, so I actually didn't have a lot of, a lot of theology to help kind of frame this for me. But one of the, one of the problems I had is I, t- it would cause me to turn to myself. Hmm. And I, I now, because, because it's God, can I'm not going to draw near to God. He's condemning me. Right. And so I was now thinking that he wanted me to be good. God wants me to get my act. And now we have this kind of moralism that kicks into gear. And so what, what the fact that John reframes you and pushes you back to God, yes, you know, it's your heart condemning you. God is greater. <laughs> he knows everything. And he just kind of pushes you that direction. I found that that was one of the real profound insights biblically. The other that, to be honest, really probably even more than that one, raised a lot of our emphasis on expectations. And we throughout the book, we really focus on expectations. Because I, I do think there's a lot of bad theological expectations that are, again, just, we just inherit these. or It's either just the flesh or, or the things that we just pick up because we're, we're still kind of fleshly in various ways. And so 2 Corinthians 12 really came in in this one, where Paul praised the Lord to take the thorn out of his flesh three mm-hmm. times. And I was reading um, John Owen on this. And Owen has a fascinating reflection on this passage where it leads him to think about someone who prays over and over and over again, God, take this sin away from me. God, take this sin away from me. God, take this sin away from me. 
And Owen kind of steps into God's perspective a little bit and says, you know, sometimes God's looking at you saying, if I took the sin away from you, you would never come to me again. And that actually there's things in our life that we want God to rid us of that, again, because of our flesh, we, we actually need to drive us to the cross. And what's so interesting about that passage in 2 Corinthians is, is we're told that the, the thorn, which is a messenger of Satan, right? Whatever that means. Right? So it's, <laughs> it's obviously negative in all sorts of ways. It's a gift to keep Paul humble. And what's so astonishing about that, John Co actually pointed this out to me. He's like, isn't it interesting that Paul got caught up to the third heavens and that didn't, that didn't perfect his character. Mm-hmm. He, he actually needed the thorn of the flesh in response to that vision to, to keep him at the cross and not to kind of puff him up. And, and then of course you get, you know, the profound claim from Christ about the nature of Christian power as being found in our weakness rather than, rather mm-hmm. than our strength. And, and it's, a, it's a power that comes from outside of ourselves, right? So that the power of Christ might rest upon me. Well, that, that passage really confronted me with, you know, what am I praying for? What are my expectations and hopes in prayer? Am I open <laughs> to a thorn of the flesh? Like, is that... Is that something I'm open to? Or, you know, what with, with, with Christ receives after his baptism, you know, the spirit comes upon him and sends him into the desert to be tempted. Like, is that, is that something I'm open to? Hmm. Am, am I open to Christ leading me like he led Paul into weakness, into temptation, into hardships? And so, and, and I kind of realized, you know, for, for much of my young prayer life, it was deliverance from all these things, all the things that scripture seems to say I will be led into. Mm -hmm. And then, as you mentioned earlier, the Psalms, you know, the Psalms are so interesting because if you take seriously the kind of breath and the kind of contours of the Psalter, you kind of have to assume that the people of God will mostly be lamenting in this Mm -hmm. world. And that wasn't my expectation as a young Christian. (laughs) You know, I was... No, I wasn't interested in lament. I wanted victory. I wanted, and that's why I, I looked at the songs we sang growing up and they were all kind of revivalist. It's like Lord, like the fire again, kind of songs. Mm-hmm. And it, they weren't training me in a way mm. of life that was ordered around the cross. Mm. Wow. That's so reassuring um, what you were saying, <clears throat> especially about how like that thorn humbles Paul um, and how we wrestle with, you know, past sins and and are reminding us to keep come coming to god honestly and you talk about that tons in this book i mean i think the most overall theme is just being honest and true even if your mind wanders it's okay Mm -hmm. to not try to have this perfect prayer and play play games with god it's really to just be honest he's our true true father and um so there's that term you say the good news of prayer. So this should be our first step in our prayer experience. Can you kind of explain that to the audience? Yeah. Well, this is one of those areas that, that where we focus theoretically, like, well, what is prayer? And, and, and one of the ways I like to think about this theologically is just, you know, I think, I think too many of us think of prayer generically, right? So there's like, oh yeah, all religions pray. And there's Mm -hmm. kind of, and we don't actually, it's like, well, forget that. What is Christian prayer? And, and the problem is when we think about it generically, it becomes an act we do and something we generate. Whereas I think theologically, what is so profound is that 
prayer always follows the contours of the gospel. And so what we discover is prayer is something like a righteousness that is alien to us and given by grace. And, and the way that shows up is that God tells us, you don't know how to pray. This is Romans 8, right? <laughs> he looks at you and the first thing he thinks is, wow, here's someone who doesn't know how to pray. And, and so he sends the Holy Spirit. We're told to groan with groanings too deep for words in Romans 8. We're told in Galatians 4, the first thing the Spirit does is start crying out from our depths, Abba, Father. Mm-hmm. Which, of course, right away we know that is not your prayer to pray. That's Christ's prayer. Mm-hmm. So what's so astonishing about this, this is something that Edwards taught me, is that, you know, suddenly we are internal to the son's praying because we are now participants of the son's relationship to the father. This is what adoption provides. And then, of course, we discover in Hebrews, we have a great high priest, Jesus, who who now has gone beyond the veil and who intercedes for us. So before we utter a word, this is what this is the, this is this is the good news. Before you utter a word, the son and the spirit are praying for you. Mm-hmm. Like you don't have to generate this. You don't have to create, you don't have to be perfected. It doesn't have to be moralistic about it. Prayer is something you enter and and you can in fact really rest in. And you know, I actually think there's there's a way this shows up for us that um is kind of what the tradition would call wordless prayer, although it's very different than what the tradition meant by that. Um, but there's sometimes I think when we're usually mourning, I find when we are um, just deeply sad, profoundly mournful, where we just don't have the words any longer, mm. that I think we all kind of recognize this is true. And it's in those moments where we realize we can rest on the, the words of the Son and the Spirit for us, through us, and actually from within us to carry us before the father and those things. And so that, that shapes Christian praying in all sorts of profound ways, right? It's why we say our father who art in heaven, right? We pray our father with the one who prayed my father and was claimed to be a heretic because of it, right? Cause he made himself equal with God, mm. calling God father, but in that way um, we pray based on our standing in Christ. Um, and therefore our praying as children within the son and, and we pray in the name of another, you know, for so, so much of my Christian life, I just thought that meant that's how you end prayer. <laughs> you know, we just all have a signature line, like yeah. in, in Jesus' name. And of course, that's fine. We do that. That's, that's good. But you can do that and not actually come in the name of another. And I, I've realized, you know, for a lot of my own life, I've been praying in my own name. And, and that's when prayer becomes performative. That's when it becomes moralistic. Um, when we try to, to, to kind of find ourselves in the presence of God on our own standing somehow on our own mm-hmm. righteousness rather than his. Yeah. And you brought something up earlier. I mean, both of the Psalms, maybe connecting this question, this next question with the Psalms, um, with our thoughts and feelings and emotions, things that I think a lot of us Christians, and I don't know for me very personally, we, th- we feel like we can't bring and we have to, like you said, perform in front of God, but how do how do the Psalms, and you talk a lot about this towards the end of your book, how do the Psalms inform how we use our emotions in prayer? And if those are those okay to use in prayer? Yeah, no, this is, this is where it gets really hard. I think because we all want to clean up our prayers in the presence of God. And you know, we're, you know what we tell ourselves? Cause my students will tell me this. My students will say, you know, this, this feels like we're lacking reverence. 
And I know exactly what they're saying when they say that. The funny thing is they think they're making a theological claim. They're really making a psychological claim. No, it feels that way. But the opposite of honesty is not lack of reverence. It's dishonesty. (laughs) That's a vastly different sort of thing. And what the Psalms do so profoundly is they, they actually show us how to be with God by walking us into what God hears and can hear. And in fact, calls us to say to him. Mm-hmm. And that's why if you ever begin praying the Psalms, you have every Christian has the experience. I can't pray this. <laughs> yeah. God, God wow. doesn't want to hear this. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it's so funny because there's this sense that I, I think there's a sense where we want to, we, we have this imagination that, that what God really wants from us is really what our parents wanted from us. I mean, some of this is when we say God, when we say father, this clicks psychologically, it kicks us into the gear of we're talking to dad in a little bit of a sense. And many for, the, for many of us, this is subconscious, but this is what tells you what you can and cannot say to God. Cause you never learned that. Like, I don't know anyone who's learned really detailed teaching on this. Mm-hmm. We just kind of assume it like, oh, God doesn't want to hear that. It's like, well, where are you getting that sense of what God doesn't want to hear? I mean, Jesus cried out, you know, why have you abandoned me? Um, the psalmist demands to know if God's fallen asleep on the job. You have these passages where, um, you know, there you have this harshness against enemies. And of course we have this kind of, we have Jesus in our imagination saying, you know, love your enemies. Mm-hmm. The problem is we think that the best way to do that is to deny that we have hatred in our hearts, to deny that we're angry rather than to name the truth in the presence of God who knows all of these things and sees all of these things. Mm. It isn't, you know, I think for some of my students in particular, and this is probably true in the church as well. I I think when we, we have this sense, if I, if I say something, it's almost like I'm saying it and this is okay. Mm. And like, that's not what we're doing. We're Mm. telling God the truth. God, I'm angry. God, where are you? I mean, the amount of time this all is, how long, what are you doing? You know, and that's a great prayer, but I never prayed that way. And I never learned to pray that Mm -hmm. way. And so I think that because the Psalter wasn't a key text shaping my imagination, like I think about Calvin's Church of Geneva chanting the Psalter, like what that would have done to the Christian imagination of, no, this is how we come into God's presence. This is how God trains us to hear. I mean, there's something just profound mm. about what that would do, because now I, I don't have to clean this up before I bring it to God. And even, even that instinct, the instinct to clean it up, it feels right, but it feels right because of the flesh. Mm. <laughs> that's, yeah. it, that's just the garden all over again, right? Mm. That's, that's Adam and Eve hiding and covering. That's Adam and Eve projecting God, managing all these things. And it's, it's, it's not embracing the truth. No, that, that God not only can handle these things, it was in your sins that he died for you. <laughs> he, he can manage this now. He can handle this now. He can actually hear these things. In yeah. Truth. Yeah. That's, I mean, that lo- unlocks a lot too. In your appendix, your first appendix, it, you have a kind of a devotional way to pray through the Psalms. And it's, it's almost as if when you read the Psalms, not that you have the language to pray, you just realize your prayer is not unique in the three, like the 3,500 years of Christian history, it's you pray the same stuff that they prayed. And I think all totally. too often it's, we don't, we don't look back to the saints of history. We don't look mm-hmm. back to the old Testament. We don't look back to the Psalter. We don't look back. We don't read it. And you're like, Oh, these are new yeah. feelings that I feel versus saying like, no, this has been, it's been true for a long time. And I think you're, 
your book does a good job of bringing us back to this. And they know these are, these are real legitimate things that Christians in times past have been praying as well as you. That's right. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, <clears throat> go for it, Nick. I think, no, I think, uh, yeah, Peter, you were going to ask about the, the, the f- earthly fathers. And I know Dr. Strobel, you were kind of addressing that, how, mm-hmm. the, how we kind of subconsciously will view, uh, think that we are like talking to our earthly father, <clears throat> not, not the father. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, and I think too, that comes to with the question, the Abba father, knowing that we come in adoption to a father that we are already in, not that we're trying to get closer to us, that we're as close as we'll ever be. We just feel further away. So it's what, yeah. What's the role um, of these kind of two concepts, um, your use of the word, God, the father and earthly fathers and, and kind of how we understand talking to our heavenly father. Yeah. Well, this is where, you know, and, I mean, it's, it's so and it's, it's maybe hard for a couple of different people, like understanding that there's some different contexts, people who don't come from good households or don't have fathers or have totally. a bad father and all that stuff. So being uh, us being cognizant of, of some of these, these things too. Yeah. Yeah. No. And that's hard to know how to navigate at times. Like I've met people who, who are like, I can't, I can't utter the word father. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't understand that. Right. I, I don't know. I, I didn't come out of that context, but yeah. But for them, I think, you know, that's, that's okay for now. I mean, that needs to be redeemed. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, I think that's okay. I think Jesus meet, will meet them there. Mm-hmm. I think that, you know, the key that we have to remember with these concepts with God is that when, when God uses kind of language that we take to be kind of human, like relational terminology, I actually think it works the other way. I think God created earthly fathers <laughs> to image the, you yeah. know, the yeah. a deeper reality, but it, it also is interesting that God kind of, I mean, cause he didn't have to say father right? He could have Yahweh, right? And just, yeah. but he chose a relationship that for many will be the most deeply broken. Mm-hmm. And in part, I think it's because, because God refuses to kind of circumnavigate our pain mm-hmm. and he, he leads us in and through it. Um, this is, you know, Calvin's so good on this, on the fatherhood of God and, oh, yeah. and, and in, in adoption and God's kind of fathering us in that way. But I think the, the redemption of those things needs to come through a realization that God has taken on these forms that awaken things in us. And I think I'm sure that none of us are fully aware of how deep that runs. You know, I, I tend to think that when we pray, everyone has a sense of how God receives them. That isn't theological. Um, we have a theological sense of how God receives us, but actually that for many of us, that doesn't run as deep as this kind of innate sense we've picked up. And so I'll, I'll talk to students, for instance, all the time who, when they go to pray, God rolls their, rolls his eyes at them. And I'm like, well, that is interesting. <laughs> so they come into pray and they just have, of course, that's not true. Again, it's just like what first John three says. It's not, they're just projecting that on God, but the problem is no one has helped them reframe that and understand oh, that's precisely what needs redeeming. Mm-hmm. You, you need to come to understand that God is a heavenly father in such a way that is nothing like your earthly father could ever have been. Mm-hmm. And so there's a, a very deep redemption that needs to come here where we, where we actually come to learn how to speak the truth in a way that we would never have with our earthly fathers. Yeah. And, and I wonder way- maybe if you can um, help me with this, just thinking through kind of the father in that context, in that first century context, thinking of them also is that, that those are the people that you inherited from um, as a, as an adopted son. It's 
um, when Jesus prays to his father, it's both in an heavenly father sense, but also it's, he's adopting us into this relationship where we inherit what the father's like eternal treasure is. Um, and that same context that I think that they would have known in that, in that first century context where it's fathers meant inheritance that meant you, you got mm-hmm. something and not in the prize context where you gave them something, they gave you something back, but it's, we truly inherit something from the one who owns all. Yeah. You know, and this, it, it just reminds me of the, um, the parable of the father with two sons, Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, where, you know, what's interesting is the way we, we interpret that. We actually tend to translate that pretty poorly in my mind. Uh-huh. Um, Because the the younger son, the prodigal never asked for money, interestingly enough. (laughs) He asked for his share of the father's life. Mm -hmm. And the whole point of that parable is that the very life of the father is is open to you. And of course, the, the, the sad reality of that parable is both sons become servants rather than children of their father. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and I think something similar is going on in prayer is God, God is opening his life to us. Um, we have access to him to use that uh, Ephesians 2 yeah. um, passage. Um, and embracing that is to embrace all that the father offers. And it's ours. You're right. And adopted in Christ. It's ours. Um, it's that, 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 that line he says to the older son, you know, my son, all that <laughs> yeah. is mine is yours, right? Like it's, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> yeah. like, and, and why haven't you embraced this? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think prayer becomes a place where we where we really are kind of learning to embrace those things mm-hmm. as sons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as you're as you're unpacking this and saying it, um, what what's kind of coming to me is just with our earthly fathers, what we're longing for and what we know is inherently broken and they're falling short of, even if they're the greatest dad in the world, they're still finite sin mm-hmm. sinners. They're human, but so many of us have been really hurt. Um, whatever you're longing for, you'll find it perfected in God, the father. So I think with that frame of mind through gratification, not using prayer as a sense of works, like, Oh, here's my duty. I got to You know, say this prayer to kind of get through the day and maybe wipe some sins away. No, it's, it's a gratitude of my natural longing to run to him. And even if I have nothing to say, if I'm just blabbling like a baby <laughs> and he just wants to hear me and I come up to him and I'm, I'm hugging him, you know, that's all I feel like I want to do. Even if I have nothing to say and it's the middle of the day, I just want Hey dad, I just want to check in with you, say hi to you. Um, and the spirit maybe can translate some stuff for me. I don't have to have a lot of extra pressure of articulating a beautiful, like profound poem prayer. It's just, he just wants his children. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's exactly right. Um, Yeah. A a contrite heart, right. (laughs) Just Mm -hmm. Lord, here I am. And that, that reality is, you know, and that's always been the emphasis in the tradition. Although teaching on this, I think is hard because it's, it's, it's prayer really exposes, I think, how, how easy it is to come up with cliches. Most of our cliches about prayer are good. They're actually decent cliches. The problem is you can memorize those all day long and then you go to pray and suddenly you can find yourself just navigating the difficulty or navigating your condemnation, navigating your frustration, your guilt, your shame, whatever it is. And it really is one of those places where we have to enter um, 
experientially into these things. This is what you know we used to do as experiential theologians or what we used to call Christian ethics, right? Training for the presence of God, where we actually are kind of speaking into the direct reality of what is it like to give myself here? Mm-hmm. And that kind of teaching, unfortunately, in the last several hundred years, particularly in evangelicalism, has really fallen off. And so we've often kind of had theoretical ideas, pragmatic ideas, unfortunately, that often have taken more from the world than, than theology and scripture. And we've lost that, that kind of deep, rich, experiential tradition mm-hmm. that like, you know, to use Jonathan Edwards as an example, that you find in a book like The Religious Affections, where he's trying to help navigate how do we make sense of these things? How do we discern how to offer ourselves? How do we name what's going on in the soul? Mm-hmm. And so we're hoping to speak into those realities because it is, it is easier to come up with ideas. And, you know, one of the things I see all the time in seminary, um, and this is a little different probably than in a church context, but for my seminary students, a lot of them work really, really hard on understanding the doctrine of the atonement. And when they go to pray, they try to atone for their sins the whole time in prayer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's that kind of thing that's so tragic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and what I'm thinking I'm hearing too is we spend so much time talking about God, which is awesome. It's great. Don't want to downplay that. And especially like this podcast, we talk about God. We love talking about God. We like learning more about our father. I don't think if we're really honest with ourselves, we spend enough time talking to God. Mm-hmm. And so it's a real, and he's a relationship God. He's, he just wants a relationship with us. So um, I think this ties into my question here. Um, God is relational. And if you want proof of that, look at the tr- Trinity. He's a triune God with the, Father, Son, and Spirit. This was really profound in your book. I never thought about this before, but because I've always thought just like, oh, I want to pray to God directly, you know, it's just me and him. But you tied in actually the the all three persons in the Trinity, the Holy Spirit in us, translating kind of in a way, I'm paraphrasing what you're saying, say, saying what our heart knows. He already knows the depths of our heart and our soul. He's groaning with us and he's even if we say nothing technically, he's 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 hearing us correctly. It, can you explain that better than I was? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Well, this is you take a passage like the Ephesians two eighteen and nineteen passage where we're, we're told, and I'll paraphrase here now, but you have access to the Father in the Son and by the Spirit, right? And that those prepositions, and I've changed the prepositions slightly, but those prepositions are helpful when you think about how you know that's how I was taught to pray as a child, you know, you pray to the father in the name of the son by the power of the spirit. And usually I think we stop there, but then when we look at what the spirit's up to, right, the spirit's crying out, Abba father, the spirit is groaning with groanings too deep for words. Um, Even that's interesting. Why, why too deep for words? Like there's something profound there. I think that just like, you know, God's triune life is too high for words. In a sense, it's, 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 it's beyond our ability to speak. God in his, in his in, in infinity is, too, is beyond our language. Well, likewise, your brokenness and sin is actually beyond the capability of language to truly name. But the Spirit's there. The Spirit's actually naming it in his groaning. And then the fact that the Son is, is interceding for us before the Father, that there's this movement. And, you know, this is where I think it's interesting when you pay attention to, because this is not how I learned the Trinity. You know, growing up, the Trinity, it was much more social. 
um, than classical Trinitarianism. And, and, you know, the longer, you know, once I got into theology and I kind of saw that's, that's not, you know, how we've looked at it historically. And, and once I started paying a little more attention to, to kind of the economy and how the economy is understood, it's like, it's interesting that like, there's a reason the spirit doesn't get a lot of time biblically because the spirit is constantly pointing beyond himself to Jesus. But then if you, the second you look at Jesus, he says, well, if you see me, you've seen the father, right? And he's kind of <laughs> pointing beyond himself <laughs> to the father. And there's this kind of unfolding of a life and, and a reinfolding back in um, what Edwards would call emanation and remination. You know, there's this God in his self-revelation. You have the invisible God who sends the image of the invisible God, Jesus, who sends the illuminating spirit. And if you have the illuminating spirit, and therefore you can see the glory of God in the face of Jesus, therefore you've seen the father, right? Like there's this movement that we see in scripture. Well, in prayer now, we are kind of caught up in that because by adoption, I would caught up in the life of the son and therefore kind of internal to the father son relation that by the spirit. Now we are open to the Lord in his son and therefore received in him. And this is where I think understanding the gospel Remember, this is where as Protestants, we have a very unique standing because of our understanding of, of justification, I didn't get myself here. Like I didn't achieve the presence of God. Like I didn't somehow get good enough to get here. Like this was grace. And so now I don't have to think that somehow what sanctification is, is me becoming good so that God will receive me. Like that's not what it is. And this is where like a passage, like I think Luke seven forty seven is so interesting where Jesus is in the Pharisee's house and he tells them that the one who is forgiven much can love much. Where now I realize that as a Christian, it's like, oh, I'm on a journey to realize how much I need, I needed forgiveness and need forgiveness. Like it's not now me, God forgot my sins. So I get to forget them. And no, it's, I actually need to see the depth of how needy I am. So I depend precisely because I'm not relying upon myself in any way, but I'm trusting solely in the act of God. And I think that that reality really frees it to, to truly internalize the gospel in that way. It part of what that means is we have to test it a bit. Like, well, do you believe in double imputation? Well, what does your prayer look like? Are you trying to be good? <laughs> because, you know, do you believe it all the way down? Do you believe there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus? Like, it's easy to affirm those things. Oh, yeah, yeah, I believe those. But like, in the presence of God, what is going on? And, and that's where I realized there's a lot of things I affirmed that I never quite tested in prayer. I never, you know, I knew I was forgiven, but eh, there were some things. that, And it was clear, like, wow, there's still a question mark in my mind. Has God forgiven this? Can I bring this in prayer? And so that's that reality of the triune life where now we have been caught up in that life so that we can offer ourselves before God. Um, and the book of Hebrews is just so profound here um, where we realize that we have an anchor of our soul that has gone beyond the veil or a passage like Colossians three, where we set our mind on things above precisely because our life is hidden there in Christ mm -hmm. with God. And it's those things that kind of end up being the objective grounding of who we are in Christ that actually allows us to enter subjectively now in the mess that is mm -hmm. life with him, the communion we have with him, and not think that when that goes wrong, like we feel condemned that somehow it undoes anything, right? That's mm -hmm. where the objective reality of the gospel needs to constantly kind of anchor us in there, in that place. Yeah, and you... <clears throat> instead of uh, like a ritualistic prayer that you're kind of doing and, and um, 
you're just saying without even thinking about it because you just want to check it off the list versus it being okay to, to be um, having your mind wander. Mm. What, what were you saying in your book, how the mind, mind wandering is actually, a, could be a good thing because it actually is going to reveal in your heart, surface in your heart, what's really going on. So yeah. what's going on with your heart? Cause the Bible, the Bible talks over and over again, like, don't, don't just trust your heart. Like the heart can <laughs> deceive you. And you hear a lot of people today, like I only went with my heart and it's like, no, that's actually bad uh, teaching. So it's like, what is going on in our heart when we just let our minds wander? We're in the, like praying what's going on there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, because of the nature of what prayer is, you know, when, as a form of, to use the imperative of Hebrews to draw near, like we're drawing near to God. And one of the things we see with Jesus, that when people drew near to Jesus or when he drew near to them, they kind of came out of themselves. Um, sometimes quite literally, <laughs> you know, with, with the demonic would even, you know, um, but you know, Peter falls at his feet, Lord, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. And um, sometimes it's embarrassing things. God's constantly kind of opening their hearts. You know, Jesus is on the way to the cross and he asked the disciples, Hey, what are you talking about? And they're, they're debating which one of them is the greatest. You know, I mean, there's these, these at times almost comical scenes. And that's exactly what our prayer life is like. Like you come into the presence of God and your heart comes out. And so what I would do, and I think what most people naturally do is they, 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 their mind wanders, you know, they spend the last 10 minutes thinking about the Lakers and why they're not doing so well. And they're, you know, I'm worried, you know, the next game's a big one, you know, we got to beat Portland, you know, and I would stop and think, oh, God, get your act together. What's wrong with you? God, God I'm sorry. I'm going to be better. And I mean, so suddenly we're just moralistic, right? It's just, God, I'll be better. Right. And actually now it's, I say, okay, wow, that's interesting. God, I, I, I'm drew near to your presence. And this is what my heart longs for. Look at what I'm more interested in than you right now. Because hmm. that's what it is. I mean, I can pretend it's not that. I can pretend it's something. Look, look at what I'm more interested in than in you right now. Or I have found that when I draw near to God, um, and I have a very high view of God's freedom and sovereignty. And so when I draw near to God, I'm drawing near the whirlwind. Now, thankfully, it's the whirlwind who's given himself to me in Christ Jesus, but it's still <laughs> the whirlwind, right? There's a real fear of God in my mind. And I'll notice that I'll often start dreaming about or fantasizing about probably more is better word about like book projects or things I want to work on or, and I've come to realize like my mind and heart are turning to things where I have control and they're actually mirrors of, of kind of ability. Like they show me, look, 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 look at this. You're doing, this is where you do well. You're in control. You're doing good work. You're doing, whereas God is not that mirror to me quite often. Right? He's a mirror that says, what have you done? <laughs> you know, you, you bring nothing here. You know, without me, you can do nothing. I don't want to hear that. And so now I've got to navigate this reality. And so when my heart brings something out, so when my, when I, my mind's wandering to my work, I can't to just apologize and move on. There's something that's quite faithless in that actually. I actually have to enter into it and say, Lord, look at this. Or I'll, you know, if you fall asleep, I think there's, and I went through a season where I'd go to pray and I'd fall asleep. And there's something interesting about how, Lord, I've actually tried to reject my creatureliness. I, I haven't actually lived according to the kind of contours of how you created me. I'm not getting the sleep 
I actually need because I want to, I, I don't want to be a creature. I want to be like God. I don't want to need sleep. I don't, I, I want to be able to break the bonds of these things. There's all sorts of ways that we, we actually have these, these, these things revealed to us in prayer. And the tragedy is most of the time we don't actually enter into them and embrace them and see them for what they are because we're very quickly apologizing and moving on. And so this is a real opportunity. I mean, again, it, it's, it does mean we have to get used to seeing the truth of ourselves. But remember the Luke 747 passage, the one who's forgiven much can love much. Like this is just the way. And this is what, you know, one of the things Edwards noticed, I love this about Edwards when he writes his personal narrative, which is basically his kind of um, conversion and kind of um, spiritual growth narrative. He actually looks back at his life and he says, you know, when I was a young Christian, I was really moralistic. You know, most of what I was doing to grow was in my own effort. It was just me trying to grow myself. But he said, you know, now, and this is at the end of his life. He's like, now, like, I, I see my sin more than I ever did. But you know what's true of me now? I depend on God more than I ever did. And I trust in his sovereignty more than I ever did. And, and I think that that just is the reality of growth in the Christian life. And I never knew that. Again, this goes back to expectations. My expectations were that eventually I would have no sin anymore. Like I would just, <laughs> these things would be eradicated. And it seems to go the opposite direction. And so when I come into the presence of God, I need to be open to, well, what, what is this saying? You know, if I'm falling asleep or if my mind's wandering or if, you know, what, what's actually happening that is exposing where my true treasure is and what is my treasure? Is it God or, or is it something else? Yeah, that's uh, that's good. I, I mean, I loved how you grounded a book on prayer. I mean, you would think this would be done more often, but on scripture um, <laughs> and on the Psalms, especially because those are prayers and songs of the people of God. And so, I mean, I loved how grounded it was in that because I've read other uh, more practical books, I guess, uh, and some theoretical books, but usually practical books that are just like, here's some forms and here's what you can expect. And um, yeah. and if you do this, then that's wrong. And if you do that, then that's wrong. Or if you get this and that's okay, but it's, um, how it's grounded, not just in the, in the Bible, but it's grounded in the gospel and grounded in the finished work of Christ and his ascension. And we have the spirit now. And so I loved how it was grounded in this and saying, mm. like, it's, I mean, you, I think you put it beautifully, um, where we are entering into a prayer that's already been going on. We don't have to start something new. It's, we're already part of this. Um, yeah. and so, I mean, I love that. So thank you for for kind of driving us back to the gospel um, in your book. But with, with this said, and I'm assuming after people read this and like, I, I want to learn more um, about the Bible with Dr. Strobel's help. Mm -hmm. um, is there anything, and I saw some, some, some stuff on Twitter that you, that you have coming up. Is there anything else kind of in your past that you can bring people to or blogs or upcoming projects that you can say, Hey, if you want to learn more about this or this, then you can come to, to these resources. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I've got a lot of work going on. I'm actually on the front end of a big project on sanctification that I'm really excited about, but that's mm -hmm. going to be quite some time. Okay. <laughs> yep. That's going to be a little longer term sort of thing. Um, yeah. You know, I did one of the works that it's actually my, my, my wife's favorite thing I've written mm -hmm. is, is a book called formed for the glory of God, which was, I wrote it after I did my dissertation on Edwards, I decided I want to write a popular level book on on, on having Edwards teach us, like, what would the Christian life, like, what would he just assume? Like, well, this is what the Christian life is. Like, of course mm -hmm. it's this. Partially as a way to remind us that this is our tradition. 
we have a, a real depth in our spirituality and it was really theological like it wasn't it, it wasn't the kind of pragmatic stuff we have now and i think so often and, and you know if, if anything edwards taught me in many ways like he really was my great teacher in in how to constantly have God's self-giving kind of shape the nature of the theological task so that we're never simply asking pragmatic questions. I don't care if the question is, where do we put the podium? It, that, that is a theological question, right? Like, mm -hmm. Everything is driven by this. And so I, that really, I, that's a book I've gone back to in part because I fear today, particularly in the age of self-help, it's amazing how naturally we shift away from a theological understanding of grace and formation. And we just start thinking about kind of forming our lives in our, in our activities. Mm -hmm. And so that would be um, a work that to pay attention to the one that you point out, the one that's coming out, we have a second, the, the way of the dragon or the way of the lamb is a book that basically kind of meditates on second Corinthians 12, nine and 10. And what does it mean that God's power is made perfect in our weakness? Hmm. Um, and it really sits with the, the, you know, in wisdom literature and scripture, you're always presented with two ways. Yeah. yeah. So, to narrate a bit, how are we through the way of the world to try to further the church and the gospel? And how is that actually warping the soul of the church? Hmm. Yeah, that'll be good. We're, I saw that on a, on Twitter. And I was like, oh, that'd be a, that'd be an interesting book to, to go through again. Cause I, I didn't know it was a second edition. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, that looked, that looked good. So mm. yeah, we're, we're looking forward to that one to come out too. Mm. Oh, thanks. Well, it's so good to be with you guys. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. And yeah, then, yeah. and then um, if people want to see you on uh, being born, they can watch. Uh, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. for Christ, right? Yeah. That's the one, I think it's the one guest we can say that of that we'll ever have on the show. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. It is a unique kind of thing. And, and, it, and I like to tell my kids laugh at me because I, I always tell them, and it took two, two kids to play one of me. So, <laughs> oh, that's, <good. laughs> that's how broad, that's how deep that experience was. I like it. Yeah, yeah. that's good. <laughs> A really important question. Um, we talked all about prayer. It only makes sense as if we closed out with prayer. Because some people yes. are like, all right, how do I apply this? Would you do us the honor to uh, close us out in a prayer? I would love to. Yeah, yeah. Father, Lord, you are good. Lord, we do come to you in the name of your son, Jesus. Not in our names, not in our works, not in our abilities. Not because somehow we have figured out how to pray well. We come to you in the name of Jesus, because it is only in him that we have access to you. Lord, you see and you know all. You see every thought, you know every word. Lord, you know every temptation we have given into, you know every way we struggle. So Lord, we lift up our hearts to you and we pray that we would be known, that we would be seen. And Lord, that we would be able to set our mind on you. Lord, we trust that you do know and that you do see. And so we come to you and we ask that you would guide us in your way. Lord, I pray for Peter. I pray for Nick. Bless them. I ask that you would um, lift them up, that you would open their hearts to you, and that you would ground them in your love and in your grace and in your mercy. Lord, we do pray this in the name of Jesus and by the power of your spirit. Amen. 
Well, thank you so much for coming on, Dr. Strobel. It's been a pleasure, and we hope that people are, are blessed by our book and not only learn how to pray, but know that we can pray. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thanks so much, guys. It's so good being with you. Yeah, it was great. Thank you. Hey guys, we hope you enjoyed that episode of our podcast, Guilt, Grace, Gratitude. And we, as we've said before, we are bridging the gap to Reformed Christian theology for your listening pleasure. So we would like to make sure this is enjoyed by others around the world. And how to best do that is rate and review us on iTunes. Yeah, and you, after you rate a review or instead of rate and review or doing everything all in once, retweeting us on Twitter, liking us on Twitter, liking us on Instagram, following us on both of those platforms, because that actually puts in front of people's physical face this podcast, these guests, and most importantly, the gospel, the doctrines uh, that these guests are, are bringing in front of you guys. So please do that. It helps get in front of more people. Amen. And hopefully you guys are part of a local church and you're tithing. And uh, after that, after tithing, if you have any means left over, please consider donating to us to make sure our bridge is well paved and maintained and strong and sturdy. As again, we bridge the gap to reform Christian (laughs) theology. Exactly. Yeah. And you guys can find that link on anchor our official anchor website if you just go on um, our social media links it'll it'll link you to that website it's also at the bottom of these this podcast show notes if you're on this podcast this specific episode scroll all the way to the bottom of that show notes and you guys will find a link for this for three different options of donating so we hope you guys can help us bridge the gap pay for shipping get nicer stuff all for the focus of spreading the gospel further Yep. All for the kingdom of God. Thanks so much, guys. We'll see you guys next time.